Welcome to Coffee Pods, a 15-minute coffee-length look at one of the difficult issues around the Christian healing ministry. So plug yourself in, pick up your mug of coffee, and let's go. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Coffee Pods. Today we're thinking about fears and filters, and we're asking the question, How do fears and filters prevent us from enjoying God's healing and bringing it to others? I never thought a day would come when I would cross the road to avoid another person. Yet some months ago, as we began to realise how deadly COVID-19 could be, it seemed like the right thing to do. Not only to protect myself, but also to protect the other person, lest I be an asymptomatic carrier. You know, at that stage in the pandemic, people seem to forget that you can't contract the disease through a smile. Fear seemed to take over, and fear is a strong emotion. When Danielle, our daughter, was much younger, we used to go for walks as a family, and I would greet everyone we met. At the end of the walk, Danielle looked up and asked, Daddy, how do you know everybody? Of course, I had to explain that I didn't know everyone. I was just being friendly which was fine until she was a little bit older. Then, after I had said hello to people, she would look up and whisper, Stranger danger. It's what they had been taught in school. Suddenly, in her eyes, everyone who was not part of our family, not part of our friendship group, was dangerous, or at least potentially. Fear of the unknown. Now she's a teenager and she thinks well of everyone, which is great. But I, as a parent, am the one shouting stranger danger, at least in my head. We see the world differently at different stages, don't we? But we always see it through filters, through lenses formed by our past experiences, our upbringing, our values and beliefs, prejudices, assumptions our peer groups, culture, family, memories, expectations, and much more. So my view of the universe is different to yours. They are, in a sense, parallel universes, similar, but certainly not the same. You may have heard the famous lines by Robbie Burns, and I'm not going to do the accent. O wad some par the gifty geas, to see ourselves as either's see us which is roughly translated, Oh, would some power give us the gift to see ourselves as others see us? The lines are taken from a poem entitled To a Louse on Seeing One on a Lady's Bonnet at Church. They had some snappy titles in the 1700s, didn't they? The title gives the context, but the poet chastises the louse for not realising how important the host is and then reflects that to a louse we are all equal prey and perhaps... We would be less pretentious if we were to see ourselves through each other's eyes. But I remember some years ago when I shared this quotation with a group and a very wise lady called Doreen said, Oh, Howard, that would be awful. Why, Doreen? I asked. Because, she said, everybody sees us differently. She was right, of course, but it was a bit frightening. Hundreds of different versions of me in other people's heads. And then, scariest of all, perhaps, the version of me in my own head, because how we see ourselves affects our filters and therefore uh, how we see others and how we see the world. Now, filters 
are important. They are part of what makes me, me, and you, you. And some are necessary for our, our well-being and have a role in protecting us from danger. Just as filtering water can remove impurities, filtering what we take into our minds and into our lives can prevent us being overwhelmed by the fact that the world is not all we would wish it to be. But other filters can be unhelpful, even destructive, and they can prevent us listening well and bringing healing to others. So one of the ways of being a better listener is to start listening to yourself and to God. Self-examination is never easy, but it helps if Jesus is sitting alongside us as we start that journey inwards. So let's start by thinking about our families and our upbringing. Who were the strangers that your parents told you to avoid? Did they ever give you the line, you can tell a lot about a person by looking at the company they keep? It's an interesting thought, especially when we apply it to Jesus, because the company he kept were a bit of a rabble, to say the least. You had the sons of thunder. They were a bit fractious. You had zealots who were fighting against the Roman occupation. You had collaborators who collected taxes on behalf of the Romans. You had Thomas who thought things through and Simon Peter who often didn't and Judas Iscariot. And then you had a group of fishermen. There weren't weren't many educated, respectable people like Saul of Tarsus, for example, in the original group of 12. And ironically, perhaps, it does teach us a lot about Jesus. It teaches us that he didn't judge people by what they did for a living or how they smelt after they'd been out fishing all day or what their politics were or even their theology, which I imagine was pretty basic compared with the highly qualified academic theologians of the 21st century. Or am I just being judgmental or even worse, prejudiced? Prejudice is a filter and it's also meant to protect us. I don't want to meet with them because they think, look, vote differently to me. And if I listen to them, I might have to rethink some of my views and that might make me feel uncomfortable. So instead, I'll just surround myself with people who think, look and act like me and then I can enjoy sitting in my echo chamber. When I look at the 12 disciples and all those who followed on from them, I see Jesus challenging that echo chamber approach. For living in our echo chambers is not going to help us find health or wholeness. And it's certainly not going to help us listen well to others. Jesus doesn't challenge my need to be authentically me or your need to be authentically you. Quite the opposite. But I believe he does challenge us to set aside our own needs from time to time in order to better focus on the needs of others by listening to them and empathising with them. There's a story we sometimes entitle The Woman at the Well. That title reminds us that here was an instance when Jesus wasn't the centre of attention. The story centres on someone else, a person who is simply going about their normal routine when something unusual happens. The beginning of the story is usually overlooked and yet it sets the scene very well. It's in John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. There was a lot of misinformation, fake news traveling around Jerusalem, it seems. Verse 3. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. 
The Pharisees weren't big fans of Jesus, were they? And things were getting tense. Was Jesus afraid so he went back up to Galilee? I don't think so. It wouldn't be too long before he was back in Jerusalem. But he had a few people to meet up north. So he and his disciples travelled through Samaria. The Pharisees wouldn't have been too pleased about that, but that's another story. The group came to Jacob's well and the disciples go off to get food. It's about noon. The sun is high in the sky and the shadows are short. And as Jesus sits there, a person carrying a water jar starts walking towards the well. And Jesus asks the person for a favour. Would you give me a drink? It's a reminder of his humility and his humanity. He's human and in the heat of the midday sun, he is thirsty. The need for hydration on a hot day in Samaria is a basic human need that transgresses culture, upbringing, prejudice, values and beliefs. Will you give me a drink? Imagine Jesus asking you for a glass of water. Jesus doesn't just want to give to us. He longs to receive from us, to listen to us as we pray, as we worship. And Jesus, by his request, is breaking down barriers. He's building rapport. He's creating a foundation for dialogue. He's showing respect. How? By empowering the person before him. They can set the agenda. That's what we do when we listen. We are taking in, not giving out. Jesus wants to take in, to drink, water. But this isn't a fairy tale well with a bucket and a rope and a winding handle. He has no container to get the water up from the well. So he asks the question, will you give me a drink? The other person is empowered to take a decision. They can say yes or no. They do neither. Instead, they do what Jesus often does. They respond to his question with another question of their own. They set the agenda. What? You're a Jewish man and I'm a Samaritan woman. That's two cultural reasons why I shouldn't even be talking to you, let alone giving you something. How do you think the person is feeling at this point? I suspect all her filters have kicked in. All her previous experiences, memories of all the abusive men in her life and all the stories she'd heard of how the Jewish people had destroyed the Samaritan temple that used to stand on the very mountain on which she stood, Mount Gerizim. She knew that this was where God ought to be worshipped, here, not in Jerusalem, as the Jewish people taught. And yet, mixed with her anger, I suspect there was a sense of incredulity, perhaps even shock, that this person would break the taboos, speaking with the Samaritan and asking them for help. How can you ask me for a drink? And that question leads into a conversation covering history, geography, spirituality, theology, living water, and eventually coming to an area in which they had a similar understanding, the belief in a restorer prophet, known to the Samaritans as the Taheb and to the Jewish people as the Messiah. Listen to the Passion Translation of the story from verse 13. Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again and again. But if anyone drinks the living water that I give them, they will never thirst again and will be forever satisfied. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, springing up and flooding you with endless life. The woman replied, 
let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw water. Jesus said, Go get your husband and bring him here. But I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, Jesus said. For you've been married five times and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told the truth. The woman said, You must be a prophet. So tell me this, why do our fathers worship God here on this nearby mountain, but your people teach that Jerusalem is the place we must worship? Which is right? Jesus responded, Believe me, dear woman, the time has come when you won't worship the Father on a mountain, nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship. We Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jews that salvation is made available. From here on, worshipping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshippers who will worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. The woman said, this is all so confusing, but I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you're looking for. And guess what? The woman at the well was exactly the type of person God is looking for. Here is someone who tells the truth. Here is someone who recognizes a true prophet. Here is someone who is seeking the Messiah. I've heard a lot said about this person and her reputation in the village. But when she returns to the village and tells the story of the amazing person she has met, the villagers believe her. The villagers come out in the hot midday sun to meet this prophet. And they invite him into their homes as their guest over the next few days. They believed her story. I think they knew that she was honest and authentic. She was real. And this is what God requires. In our worship. So, how can we acknowledge and face our fears so that we might be able to put aside some of our filters and hear what other people are really saying and maybe even what Jesus is saying to us? Perhaps it begins not with seeing ourselves as others see us, but seeing ourselves as Jesus sees us. Seeing ourselves as those for whom he died, those whom he loves, enough to give up his life so that we might know life and healing and salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us today the living waters of your spirit, that we might be revived, refreshed and reinvigorated. Enable us to show love by listening to people, whoever they may be. Help us to identify which filters are important to us and our well-being, and which are damaging to our health and the health of our communities and empower us to bring healing, reconciliation, and wholeness in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us on Coffee Pods today. We appreciate you giving us the time. If you've got any comments or questions, then please do let us have them at info at acornchristian.org. And we look forward to meeting you again.